Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. We're joined by some wonderful people here in the church. Our conversation today is what can or can't God restore? Enjoy. So Donald, we're looking at this whole area of things in our lives that need restoring. Now, you're a man of culture. I know we've not perhaps explored that so much. We've talked all about football and things. And uh, it may be coming home, which is really exciting. Um, but culture, you are a man of culture. Mm. What's your, what's your uh, history of art like? Poor. Great. Okay, so you'll have heard this true story. There is this story of a wonderful Spanish art fresco. What's now, a fresco? I knew you were going to ask me that. A fresco is a picture that is painted onto a freshly plastered wall and is okay. filled with water. I never knew that. There you go. I thought it was a cereal. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> oh, my life. So in the 19th century, there was a, a fresco that was painted on the side of uh, the wall in a church. Right. And it was called Eke Homo. And it was a picture of Jesus. Right. And uh, Jesus with a crown of thorns. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, you can see uh, a picture of it, its original state uh, if you look on the internet. So mm -hmm. this wonderful, wonderful fresco uh, was on the side of the wall. But as the years went by, there was a lot of heat, there was a lot of dust, and it began to wear away. So the whole middle section of it actually flaked off the wall. And uh, people noticed that it was getting worse and worse and needed restoring. Well, next door to the church was an 80-year-old woman. And uh, she'd been worried about the fresco for some time, and she thought, somebody needs to sort this out. And without asking uh, the minister, I don't know what they call them in, in Spain, what are they called? Priest. The, the priest's permission, uh, she thought she would take the matter into her own hands and restore it. She had no training, she had no skills. It was a little bit like a DIY job, but her heart was in it. She thought, we need to restore this picture of Jesus to his full glory. She had a go at it. Uh, and then some famous art critics came to have a look at what she'd done. And this, I quote, is what they said. It was once a beautiful picture of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. It was turned into a hairy monkey wearing a baggy velvet suit and sporting what seemed to be a rolled up carpet for an arm. Now you have to look at this because it is the worst thing that I have ever seen. Oh, you know, shame, you talk about woman. making it better. It is absolutely horrific. And she was mortified. She tried her best to restore this piece of art, but it was absolutely awful. And as I was preparing for tonight, th this whole story came into my mind. I remembered it. And it reminds me of us as a human race. You know, there are things that we see in our own lives or in the world today, and we think, that's not right. I wish that were different. We try and do something like she did with the best of intentions. How can I restore this? How can I make it better? But often when we try and restore things, when we do things in our own strength, when we look to the ways of the world and how the world maybe guides us to sort things out, often I think we end up making a little bit of a bodge job of it like she did. Mm. I think we might just plaster over the cracks or bury our head in the sand, but it's still there. Or maybe we've even made it worse. And it can be incredibly painful, can be incredibly debilitating and frustrating when we look at our lives and we think, I wish this were different. How can I be different? How can this situation be different? And tonight, we want to talk about a God who 
understands human frailty and weakness, a God who understands that life is difficult, that we will get hurt, that there will be difficult situations that we face, but a God that says, if you walk with me, I can help you. He is the God we talk about who restores and redeems. So I wondered whether you'd start off by just giving us a bit of an overview and beginning to explain why we're going to suggest that God is the best place that we go to to restore us and why the Bible talks about God being a redeemer. Maybe some examples of, hmm. of what we see in Scripture. So this idea of redeem, redemption is a really core concept in the, in the Bible. The, the, the redemption was a word that was used about slaves. So someone would go into slavery. We talked about this right early on in one of our live streams about slavery, where that might be because they couldn't afford to live and so they, they sold themselves into slavery to stop themselves starving. Um, and maybe that they had a debt and the way to pay that debt was they would go into slavery. It may be that somebody else in the family owed something. And so you would go into slavery and then there was this idea that if a certain amount of money to pay off the debt or to pay to set somebody free could be found, that the person would be set free and in some sense restored to liberty. And that process was called redemption. Taking what was trapped, taking what was imperfect, taking what was without hope and setting it free. And God is called the redeemer. So he takes what is, feels lost, he takes what feels broken and he brings something good out of it. Now, one of the things I think we need to hold with this is that he's also the God that does a new thing. So again and again, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Forget the, the past. So when we talk about God restoring, I want to say that God restores some of our feelings. He restores hope. He restores peace. He restores joy. But that doesn't mean that he puts things exactly back to how they were. It means that he brings something new out of it. So he restores our emotions sometimes without necessarily restoring the actual thing. And you see that again and again in the Bible where he takes people who've made huge messes who feel that God would have to give up on them. They would feel that life has become uh, hopeless and he brings new life. Not the same life, a different life. A life that takes on board what's gone wrong, that mm. learns from what's gone wrong, that builds on what's gone wrong. Mm. Um, so the, the, the Bible is full of characters. So you, you, you take Abraham, you take Moses, you take David, you take uh, the Apostle Paul, you take Peter. These are all people who God restores people who put themselves through their own foolishness, their own choices. They put themselves in a place of barrenness, of slavery, of, of missing out on what God intended for them. And you would say, well, that's hopeless. Many of those that I just named ended up killing, murdering someone and, and being right outside where God wanted them to be. But God, when they come back to him, when they seek him, when they cry out to him in mercy, God takes them from that place of hopelessness and reshapes them, remolds them, rebuilds them, restores them, such that they then are able to fulfill new things that God intends for them. 
So it's a key concept, mm -hmm. redemption, restoration, but it doesn't mean putting things back as if they haven't happened. It mm -hmm. means bringing new hope out of something. Mm -hmm. And why is God best placed to do this? Because I think like your story, our perspective and our abilities are really flawed. He's mm -hmm. the creator. He's the one who understands us. He's the one who knows what is best for us. He's the one that strengthens and equips us. Mm -hmm. So he, I think, alone really can restore. I, I can't think of anything else that would restore in the same completeness as God. Mm -hmm. Because he's the one who knows us well enough to, to repair and restore and mend us. It's interesting, as you look at society today, and if you were to ask people, where do you go for help? This has gone wrong, how do you put it right? Most people in society wouldn't say, I'm going to go to God. Mm. I'm going to search through the Bible. I'm going to ask Christians for the answer to that. They will turn to lots of different things, some of which will be good and helpful, like counselling uh, and other avenues as well. Why do you think so many people don't look to God to be the one to help them or try and do things in their own strength? Why is God so out of favour with our society and not seen as somebody that actually can be the one to help us and to restore and redeem and move us on? I think there are a number of reasons. I think humanity tends to, we, you know, the Bible calls us sheep. We tend to go with what is trending, what we think is fashionable, what we think everybody else is talking about. So Christianity is out of fashion mm -hmm. and it will come back at some point perhaps. So there's an element of that. There's an element that Christianity uh, is, is encouraging us to move away from a self-centered approach. Part of the God's restoration of us is to look outside of ourselves and to seek to be those who love others, who bless others. Part of the restoration is to stop being self-absorbed, mm -hmm. and that can feel unattractive. We want something mm -hmm. more self-centered. But I think thirdly and tragically, I think one of the reasons is that the, the communication of the church consistently appears to be not the language of restoration but the language of judgment and the media focuses in on that because they want to discredit Christianity you there might be 10 churches that talk about restoration but the one church church that talks about judgment is the one that will make the news mm. and I do wish Christians would be much more careful in their language and much more talk much more about restoring rather than rejecting and condemning and judging and, and a whole language that is not the language of Jesus but is the language of the Old Testament uh, that Jesus comes to correct that, mm -hmm. that misunderstanding that misuse of concepts of God so I think that's at the moment too many churches are playing the media's game mm -hmm. and, and it's foolishness mm -hmm. and uh, it's tragic and so for many people, they are left floundering in, in life, trying to work out which way do I go, which way do I go, what do I do, how can I find relief from this and move on from it? Mm. And some people will turn to alcohol, some people will turn to drugs, some people will turn to spirituality, other religions, some to shopping. Some will just try and ignore it and bury their heads and think, I don't want to think about it. Others will go off and make a whole host of other decisions that may or may not be helpful. Uh, and as a human race, left to our own devices, we don't always make the most helpful decisions. Mm. And like the woman with the fresco, our attempts at sorting it out can at times 
make it worse. Mm. But we believe and we know that there is a God who loves us, who loves every single person on this earth, whether they have yet decided to follow him. There is a complete love and compassion. And when people are struggling, when things have broken down in their lives, that God wants to step in and to be at work. So we're going to be quite practical this week and next week. We're also going to be quite practical, I think, as we look at the whole area of how do we find peace, and we'll come on to that a little bit later. But we want to be practical about some of the areas that maybe people that are listening or watching this or people that we know are struggling with. So let's start off with looking at some of the things that you would say that God can restore us in this lifetime from mm. like like if we do the right things and if we invite him what are the what are the things that we are guaranteed in a sense to be able to be restored in and move on from well let's start with hope yeah because i think that's the key concept and it's that, that god wants to take it when we are in a place of despair mm-hmm. a place of feeling there is no future a place of feeling hopeless that there is nothing good in the future. I think God wants to restore us to a place of hope, a place where we are are able to look forward to each day and say, God is with me and he's stuff for me to do and my perspective is one of hope, not one of despair. So there's this beautiful imagery in the Bible of him replacing our garments of of grief and, and, and pain with clothes of hope and and joy. So I think God wants to restore our hope. So let's start with that one practically. So when we're talking about hope and restoring hope, because I think that's really powerful, and what you've talked about is the hope to be in this present moment and for that to feel all right. For that to happen, it doesn't mean to say that God's going to sort out everything else in that situation. So take, for example, if you're bereaved. Take, for example, if... um, your marriage is broken down. I'm just mm. plucking things out of the air. Or you've had a, a breakdown in the relationship with uh, a friend, family member, whatever. We're saying in that moment, for some of those situations, it is not possible for God to miraculously wave a magic wand because, well, you've lost someone. Mm. A relationship is broken down. So God doesn't miraculously always heal those things, but he helps us to face whatever it is in the midst of it and bring yeah. us through is kind of what so he's going He's going to do a new thing. Yes. He's not going to take us back yes. as if it didn't happen. He's yeah. going to say, this has happened. What I want to restore to you is hope, is joy, is peace. It is, is a sense that I can go forward and there are good days to come. There are good things to come. And my life hasn't ended with this moment and this difficulty or this tragedy. There's that line in that song, isn't it? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are mine, 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Yes, this sense that whatever else has gone on, God meets us in that place and says, right, from this moment on, I am with you. It's okay. There is hope. Yeah, so so I think there are a number of things that, that we need to position ourselves in in order to receive that restoration. So the part of it is to accept the thing that's, that's caused the hopelessness. Yeah. And not to want to, not to be focused on going back, 
but to say to God, will you help me go forward? So let me try and give you a trivial example. Um, I'm, I'm uh, middle-aged. I'm not going to be as fit and as good at sport as I was in my 20s. It's not going to happen. So if my hope is dependent on me being good at sport, then I'm, and I feel, oh, I've lost all hope because I can't do sport as well. I'm not able, my, my limbs just don't do that anymore. My stamina just isn't there. If my hope is, de- is fixed in that thing, and I say to God, restore that thing that I might have hope again, I'm not going to find hope. So what I need to be doing is saying to God, Lord, here I am, I'm grieving over the aging process. I am decaying. That is not going to go away. I can't restore my hair. It is, <laughs> it, 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 it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And if my hope is in my appearance yeah. and in having a full head of hair, then I'm not going to find hope. Mm. So it's relinquishing my definition of where hope is coming from. Mm. That's the key thing. And it's saying to God, I, I'm placing in your hands my, this, my uh, hope of hope, I suppose. That's a kind of mm. a, fra- a weird way of putting it. But we have to let go. Mm. That isn't to diminish what's gone on. So if we take a bereavement, mm. it is to say, look, we... we we love that person yeah. and they've left a hole and it is painful. But it's to say, I will yet, praise God, I will yet mm. find hope. But not in that relationship because at this point we're separated. Mm-hmm. And that is not something you decide the day after a bereavement. Mm. And for those watching here who are going through bereavement, that is not something we're, anyone's expecting you to, to, to have within days or weeks or months. Yeah. But as time goes by, you're saying to God, I'm, uh, help me look forward. And, and the mm. key thing in all of this is talking to God, is asking mm. for his help. Because we said earlier on, we can't restore ourselves. We can't cheer ourselves up. We can't say to ourselves, pull yourself together and be optimistic. Mm. So what we say to God is, Lord, will you help me? Mm. And God can't restore what we don't seek from him. Yeah. And that's, I suppose, the second key thing that in order for him to bring hope, we seek hope from him. He can't bring hope when we look for it in the past or when we look for it in another relationship or when we look for it in, my, in, a, in, in a wig or in painting my hair black or whatever it is, a toupee. <laughs> to see if, that. You know, <laughs> if I seek hope, in something that isn't of God, I won't find it. So part of it is saying, God, I, I can only, only you can provide this. Only you will you do this. And that's true even if life is great for us. Absolutely. So even if we haven't lost a loved one or whatever, yeah. actually true life, yeah. true hope, true purpose, yeah. everything else yeah. comes from that yeah. place. Yeah. It's just that we're reminding ourselves yeah. of it when we're, yeah. when we're broken. One of the things I was thinking about as I came this, after, this evening, and I don't know whether it's relevant, but I'll just bring it in here, is that, that, that we often hear that we need to have faith. 
And sometimes we imagine faith to be a certainty of feeling. And it, it isn't. Faith is, is, can be the size of a mustard seed. But what, it is, what faith is, is saying, I'm looking to you, God. Yeah. I'm uncertain, I'm scared, I'm fearful, but I'm looking to you and I'm not looking elsewhere. Mm. And so that's where faith becomes important in him restoring us. It's not that we're certain that he's going to do it and that we try and get rid of the doubts and the anxieties, but it is that we don't seek it in other places to God. We don't look for hope somewhere else. Mm. So we... We first off, we, we say, okay, to find hope, I've got to stop looking back. The second yeah. thing is to find hope. I've got to look to God yeah. and not at the things I imagine are going to bring me hope. And I suppose there'll be some people out there watching this that would say, actually, my issue is that things that I wanted, I've, there are broken dreams, haven't come to fruition. And I think that's, you know, you talked about you being a middle-aged sports star. Um, for me, there have been journeys that I've been on in my life to yeah. things that I'd wanted to happen, yeah. haven't happening, whether that's getting married, whether that's having children. And I've had to come back to two things. I've had to come back to number one, God is good. And God has good things for me. And the fact that I haven't got married, that I don't have children, doesn't diminish that and it doesn't diminish me as a person. And then my second thing that I come back to, which is what you've been saying, is I go back to God and I'm honest and I say, okay, I have wanted this and it's been a journey, uh, but I am trusting in you that you are enough, that you are the one that gives me hope, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, that every day I don't wake up thinking about the fact that I'm not married and I don't have children. But every day I wake up and I think, right, what's today, God? What, what are we doing today? What, what is it that you have given me breath for today? It's about my focus being in the right place and on him. Now, that doesn't mean to say that those things that haven't come to fruition in our life aren't painful. They are. And there can be worse things that people have gone through than that. But I think with God, with prayer, over time, we begin to get to this place where we know the goodness of God, where we know his contentment, his peace, and his hope. And you look back and you think, actually, that isn't as bad as I ever thought it might be, getting towards, what am I, 48 now? Uh, and being in this situation, if I was in my 30s thinking I'd be here now, well, who'd have thought we'd be here now in this room with these cameras? Mm. But in, in this position, it would have horrified me. Mm. But I praise God for the journey that we've been on, and I'm absolutely fine with it. Seems to be other people that aren't so fine with it, but that's amazing. That's mm. the God who takes a broken dream, a broken desire, and says, it's okay, because your value, your esteem isn't found there. It's found in me, and I love you for who you are. And I think that's just amazing. Mm. And I want to encourage people. Mm. I think it's very powerful. I don't think anything else can restore broken dreams. Mm and bring hope mm. than God. And, it, and as you really helpfully put, it's not about the dream coming true, it's about God bringing other stuff that yeah. means that the, the, lock, the breaking of that dream no longer is the thing that defines you. Yes. And, and you are now defined by hope, you're defined by the mm -hmm. good things that God ha has brought into our lives. And, and I think this, is th this thing about identity and def defining ourselves yeah. is really crucial and that God, in his bringing of hope, he's moving us away 
from the things we think defined us as positive or good or hopeful people. And he's saying, okay, that's gone or that's broken yeah. or that's been damaged, but I can do a new thing, mm. a new thing. And, and, and it's just trust, it's looking to that new thing. Yeah. And even if, I was, I was going to say trusting for that new thing, but I don't want people to go, oh, well, I'm no good because I can't trust God for that. I'm still anxious, I'm still worried, I'm still fearful. I think it's simply something coming to God and saying, Lord, I want that new thing, but I, I can't see how you can do that. I've heard Cass' testimony, but I don't see how you can do that. And I think God takes us at that place yep. and that honesty of saying, God, I, I want you to bring a new story to my life. I want you to bring a new hope. I want you to bring green shoots out of this barren wasteland. I want mm -hmm. you to do this, but I don't see how. Mm. But nevertheless, I'm looking to you. And I think that's all that's required. I think that's far more powerful as well. I think God works far easier in that situation than somebody saying the right thing yeah. and pretending they believe it. I think it's far harder for God to get in there and work because we're kind of shut off a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Whereas if we're completely honest and say, I want that, but I don't know how, God's like, great, yeah. there's my opening. Yeah. Fantastic, you've yeah. opened the door. Yeah. I'm coming yeah. in. Yeah. It's, it, I, you see that again and again in the way Jesus encounters people, mm. that, that he can't work where a community has rejected him. And he says, your faith has stopped me working. But where he does work, you see tiny glimmers of faith. You see a woman that's just stretching just to touch him. Yeah. You, you, you see a guy climbing a tree just to mm. see him. And, and you realize that God is only looking for people saying, help me. Yeah. He can't help people who say, I don't want your help. Mm. And that's where the unbelief is. That's where the lack of faith is. Mm. But it's not being certain that, that we, we've got no doubt in our mind and, and pretending to other mm. people that we're not struggling. I think, I think it's really important where God re restores is he does it from a place of brokenness. Yeah. He does it from a place of honesty. Yeah. He does it from a place where we say, I have nothing, here it is. Mm. And that's when he rebuilds. Mm. That's when he restores. He can't restore, if you like, he can't restore us if we say to him, we're fine, yeah. we've sorted it, here, yeah. we're okay. He can restore when we say, here are the pieces, yeah. here's the mess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's encouraging that all of us find ourselves in that place and we don't have to pretend, we don't have to be the world's best Christian. Actually, we may not be a Christian at the moment. There may be people listening to this or watching this that um, maybe are just a little bit interested in faith. What would God say to them? I think he would say he wants, if we're in a place of absolute despair or hopelessness, I think we, we, he wants to say, I can and want to bring you hope. And he's just saying, come to me, turn to me. What does that mean to turn to him? I, I think it means to cry out to him. Mm. God, if you're there, will you come and help me? Yeah. And, th and there will be a process, there will be a journey that goes on over time. Uh, the deeper the wound, the more shattered the dream, mm -hmm. the longer it will take for God to bring, restore hope. And that's just, if you like, that's just common sense. But it's also to do a good job with healing. There is a process that takes time. Um, so just cry out to him and follow step by step. 
where he leads. I think he'll lead you to a church. I think he will lead you to a community that teach. He will lead you to a community that loves. He will lead you to a community that worships. And I think in restoring us, sometimes we, um, I've heard this phrase, we still have a little bit of a limp at times. Yep. Um, and it may be that what we've been through, God has helped us with the emotions and with processing it and with healing us and moving us on into this new thing. But one of the great things that God does is that the things that have been difficult, he often uses through us to help other people. That there's a sense of God even redeems the, the hardest things that we've been through. He takes that, that darkness and that pain and incredibly then is able to use us to bless and to walk alongside and at times help others that perhaps struggle, uh, which is just incredible in itself as well. Yeah, it, I mean, that reminds me of a couple of things. I mean, firstly, on our last Sunday's live stream, and we, we used a little bit of a, a devotional that, that Laurie's put out that's come out today or yesterday about God using scars. Mm -hmm. And talking about your fresco story, there's a, there's a story, and I can't remember the detail exactly, but it's in Scotland, there was a, a inn, something like that, a, a bar or whatever, and it had a, a whitewashed wall that had newly been whitewashed. And something occurred where there was some kind of dispute or hijinks or whatever, and a drink was thrown, whether it was coffee or gin or whatever, a brown drink was thrown on to the, to the wall and it splattered it. And in the, at that time in the inn that night was an artist and he t took a brush and he uh, fiddled with the stain and with the drips and he created out of the, the stain he created uh, an image of a, a stag. And apparently that's still there. I can't tell you where, you have to go and Google it. But you can go and see this, and then he signed it. And that to me is a lovely image of what mm -hmm. God does. That he takes what's been gone wrong in our lives, and it's not as if it never happened. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's still a bit of a limp, maybe there's still a bit of a stain, maybe there's a bit of a scar but something beautiful can come out of it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that Corinthians talks about, Paul talks about in his letter to Corinthians, is that we are able to comfort because of the comfort we've mm -hmm. received. Because of the trials, the difficulties, the problems we have gone through, mm -hmm. we discover a, a new and deeper level in caring for others. And, and, and something I've seen many, many times is people who have been through incredibly painful and difficult situations become part of the healing for others going mm. through something similar. Mm. And that's kind of what God does. Uh, he, he, he doesn't wipe away mm. the injury. He molds it and shapes mm. it. And I think to be used by God in that way, I wouldn't say it makes it worthwhile going through it, but it gives it a silver lining that there's something about it that you think, actually, this is incredible, that this was the most painful thing in my life. And yet now, through the grace and the strength of God, I can help someone in that, their, their time of difficulty and need. It, it, it's incredible. 
it, it kind of turns on its head how you look back and reflect upon what you've been through. I think it's such a privilege. Mm. And I think it's something that's awesome about God. The, the, that doesn't define us, that, that doesn't hold us back, that God says, even that I'm going to use for my mm. glory and bring hope and help to other people through what was your biggest, perhaps, darkness and difficulty, mm. which is incredible. Yeah, and I think it moves on. If we move, yep. a big concept for me uh, alongside hope is purpose. Yep. And so he takes away any sense that something was pointless. Mm -hmm. and, and, and has. So the difficult things in our life, I think God can bring something good out of them. Yeah. And that then gives a sense of, well, as a, a sense of purpose. This is, my life isn't wasted. That isn't uh, completely destroyed. One of the phrases that's used in the Bible is, is that they, in that culture in those times, they would have seasons where plagues of locusts would come and eat all the crops. And it became a metaphor for wasted years because everything you've sown that year is lost. And it talks about, the Bible talks about God restoring what the locusts have eaten. Mm. And I love that idea that, that when we feel uh, my life has been wasted, I've, mm. all these years that particular difficult thing was pointless, nothing good comes out of it. I think that's when God can come in and use it in a different way. That's not to make it ever that it was good, that's not, not necessarily to say that it was intended, but it's to say he takes what the evil one intended for ill, what humanity intended for ill, and he can restore and bring good out of it. What about if someone has uh, found themselves in a situation where they've made a whole host of decisions and choices in life and uh, have gone off uh, at an angle away from God, just doing their own thing, um, and so maybe when they were starting out here, they thought, oh, my life is going to plan out like this. This is what God wants me to do, but then decided to do a whole host of things that went away from that. So they now, now find themselves here, and that was originally where they were supposed to be. Is that it? Are they now stuck in that place? Or are you talking about God is able to restore their purpose and the calling upon their life? Does he take them from this place and then bring them into something new? Yeah, I believe very strongly that God takes us wherever we turn our life over to him. Yeah. Whatever pit we have found mm -hmm. ourselves in, whatever dark hole we feel at the bottom of, that maybe through our own foolishness we've got ourselves into, whatever dead-end alley we've gone all the way down to the end of that was far from what God wanted or intended, I am convinced that when we say to God, Lord, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I give my life back to you. Mm -hmm. That he reshapes a new route, a new path, a new future, a new purpose, a new way in which our skills and gifts and our experience can now be used to his glory. And that he is always able to transform our lives to, to glorify him, mm -hmm. to, to, to cause people to wonder and love him. Mm. So it's one of the reasons why I don't tend to talk, I don't, feel comfortable in saying God has a plan for our life. I think God has plans. And when we shift off that, what God intended, that first plan, he is able to say, okay, let's, let's restore it. Let's, give an, let's go, do a new thing. Now, it's dependent on repentance. It's dependent on us saying, God, I'm in the wrong place. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. It's dependent on that. And it isn't necessarily as good as if we'd never 
strayed from God. So I'm not saying to people, oh, you know, wander away from God for 10 years because when you come back in your 40s, it'll be fine. There will be consequences. There will be limps. There will be scars. It won't be the same, but it can still be of value and, and, and glorifying to yeah. God. Absolutely. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Absolutely. You know, Jesus told the story of two sons. Uh, one of them wanted his inheritance early. He was basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Father didn't hold him back. Father gave him the money and he runs off, doesn't he? Just lives a wild life, blows it on a whole host of things that he shouldn't have done and ends up with nothing. And he ends up uh, in this place where it, the Bible talks about him coming to his senses, where he realizes I've done completely the wrong thing. Why have I gone away from my father? And he does what you said. He repents in a sense that he turns from that life, turns back uh, and goes to find his father. And he goes to find his father. He wants to apologize and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And his expectation is that he's not going to be welcomed back as a son, but he's going to come back as a hired hand. He just wants somewhere where he can have a roof over his head and some food. He does not have any expectations that there's anything better than that waiting for him. And then we see the father who is looking out for him day in, day out, sees him in the distance, goes running to him, wraps his arms around him. The son says, sorry, he welcomes him back, not as a hired hand, but welcomes him back as his son. Mm. And that is the God that we're talking about, isn't it? The God who, when we go our own way, breaks his heart, he lets us do it because we've got freedom of choice. But when we get to that moment of, this isn't what I want, this isn't right, I'm turning back, he is there in that instant, wrapping his arms around us, loving us. And he has things to work through with us. There are consequences often of the choices that we make and the, the turnings that we've made. But he'll work it through with us. So if anybody has gone their own way, has, has just gone off and done their own thing and thinks, how on earth could God welcome me back? Mm -hmm. He does. Absolutely. And, and I've had the privilege of seeing so many different people in the life of, of our church who have come to their senses in crazy places and found that God said, okay, that, let's go from here and, yeah. and have been amazed at how God could still use them and still bring purpose. I mean, some of those crazy places have been driving a car in a garden, in a nightclub. You know, there have been moments that we know of people where it's just, there's been this revelation. What am I doing with my life? I do not want this. Mm. I want God. Mm. And they've turned away and turned back to him in those moments. And mm. God's been like, great, I'm here. Mm. Let's start again. Let's mm. build something new. Mm. Okay, so we've done hope, purpose, Anything else that you want to throw into the mix? We can't, uh, We've I got don't know. value, clean conscience. Value, okay, yeah, a conscience. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about conscience. Yeah, because I think that God wants to restore a, a sense of um, that we're clean. Yeah, and. I, and when we go through life, stuff happens that mm. makes us feel dirty. Mm. That may be things that were done to us. Mm. That may be things that we thought would be fine. Mm. There may be things that we knew at the time, but we just 
wanted to do them and couldn't stop doing them. They may be things that are recurring and repetitive. Mm. They may be specific moments, but there are so many human beings. And you, I guess you can use different language to describe it, whether you lang use the language of shame, mm -hmm. whether you use the language of feeling dirty, whether you use the language of very, very low self-esteem or self-loathing or, or whatever it is. It's just that whole package. But the sense of we're like a piece of paper that's been scribbled on. Mm -hmm. We're like a piece of paper that's dirty, mm -hmm. that's marked, that will never be new again. And I have seen and fundamentally believe that God wants to restore that newness, that cleanness, that we, if you like, of that place where we, the prodigal son, where the place of being well, that actually that can feel like this is a new start. This is fresh. Mm -hmm. And I can be free from guilt. Mm -hmm. I can be free from regret. I can be free from shame. I can be free from self-loathing. I can be and feel clean and new again. And I think that is one of the things that, that the New Testament majors on and is a really important part of what Jesus wants to offer mm. and what he's demonstrating on the cross. It's interesting because sometimes we may feel judged. I mean, you talked about this when we were talking about the church at the beginning. We may feel judged by other people, may even feel judged by Christians. And just remind us of the story of the woman caught in adultery who was condemned and judged by everybody else and just Jesus' response yeah, to her. So, that, so there's some of the some guys bring this woman, throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they say, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So they have pulled her away from a man. They haven't brought the man. No. They've brought her. And they throw her in front of Jesus and they say to her, to say to him, you know, the Old Testament law teaches that that is sin and wrong. And to demonstrate that it's sin and wrong, she should be executed by being, having stones thrown at her till she dies. And they're trying to trap Jesus because they want Jesus to either say she hasn't sinned or they want her, him to throw a stone and, and execute her. And their sense is he doesn't want to do either of those things which is quite true. <laughs> yeah. So he says, whoever of you is without sin can throw the first stone. Yeah. And they think about that for quite a while and it says that bit by bit they wander away. So nobody, everybody recognises that they're free, that they're not sinless, mm. which is true. We're all dirty, yes. we're all sinless. Yes. So then Jesus turns to the woman. And he says, uh, who is here, who's left to condemn you? And she says, no one, sir. No one here is condemning me because they've all gone. And he says, then neither do I, but go and leave your life of sin. So there are three, I think, core elements to being cleansed, to, to having that guilt-free, childlike innocence restored. The first is to say to God, I'm dirty. Yeah. And it, it talk, it's going back to where we were talking about before. He can't fix what we don't ask yeah. for. 
So he can't fix the voice that's blaming others. He can't fix the attitude that's trying to run away from our, our, our shame. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is we, we have to face it. And to know that God is not shockable and that we are not the worst person no. in the world, that, that we're all sinners. Mm. And we may feel as though we are. We may have this low self-esteem, this guilt, this, oh, my life, what does God think of me? But we need to remember the cross. We need to go back to this sense that God loves us mm. and is not shocked. We are not the first person that will ever come to him with our yeah. list of whatever. So yeah. do not be afraid of yeah. being real and being yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah. And the second thing is that thing of going to the cross is just grasping, whether it's with our head, and sometimes it doesn't get to our heart for a while, but start with your head. I, read, I understand that Jesus died on the cross to take away the dirt that I feel. That is the undeniable uh, explanation of the New Testament. That is what Jesus is doing. He is dying to take away our guilt. Yeah. He's dying to make us feel clean. And this is all the language that the New Testament talks about, being having our consciences cleansed, our guilt removed. So we start with the head on that. Mm -hmm. It may be that our heart doesn't take a while to get there, mm -hmm. but we say, okay, I bring my dirt and I put it on the cross. Mm -hmm. I bring the dirt that I'm responsible for, and I also bring the dirt that others have put on me. Mm -hmm. I bring them both to the cross. And I say, Lord, I, I, I rationally understand that, that you are taking this away. And the third thing is to say, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit that my heart might know this? Will you come in? Will you fill me and cleanse me and wash that away? So we, so we own up. We choose to believe with our head and we invite his spirit within to miraculously cleanse. And it is a miracle to feel forgiven. It is a miracle mm. to have a free conscience. Mm. But it's the language of the church. So, I mean, one of the most famous hymns, Amazing Grace. And I, I always wonder, at this, you know, so many non-Christians know the, the hymn, they choose it for their funerals. And we love it, and there's so many pop versions that have. But if you take the first two lines, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, wretch mm. like me. Mm. Newton, the guy who, who wrote it, was a, a guy who had been involved in the slave trade. He, he captained ships that carried slaves across the Atlantic, and he came to a point late in his life, very late in his life, where he realized that he'd been involved in something that was abhorrent. Mm. He knew himself to be a wretch. Mm. He knew that he was dirty. Mm. But God restored a childlike mm. innocence. It saved a wretch like me, amazing grace. Mm. And you can go to him after him after him, passage after passage in the New Testament, and it's clear that God wants to restore our conscience mm. to be clean. Mm. Sometimes I think one of the hardest things for us to do in that is to forgive ourselves. Mm. That, that we can believe that God forgives us and we can go through that process. But we can at times still hold on to a bit because we don't feel worthy of forgiveness. And we keep raking it up. And yeah. it's then that we go back, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it is a miracle. And we just, you may not feel it. That's why that that third Mm -hmm. part is saying, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. And putting ourselves, making out a prayer daily, putting ourselves in a, in, in a, a place of, of worship is very often one of the ways, and time and time again, people have experienced. Sometimes it's simply in the act of communion. Sometimes it's in a context of worship, which in a few weeks' time, we hope, we're going to return to, of just allowing the love of God to move from the head to the heart, and that's his spirit that does that. It's not us. It's not an act of the will. It's not a convincing ourselves, but allowing him. And when that happens, allowing him to give us permission to forgive ourselves. And that is a, a powerful miracle. So we've talked a lot about God working in us. And I think that's a really, really important foundation in all of this, because there are some situations that we're in that it may be that God isn't going to restore us from, which sounds a bit odd when we're talking about God the Redeemer, but it may be that our marriage has broken down as an example, or there might be other examples that we can think of. And it may be that humanly that isn't worked out, that that, that actually the couple go their own separate ways. But again, we go back to this point of God meeting us internally in the midst of that and giving us his peace and helping us with the guilt, and helping us with the forgiveness, and, and all of those things. So there, there are some things that God isn't going to miraculously sort out, although sometimes he does. It's the mystery of God. See, I, I think that, that God can restore what's within us. Yep. He can restore our attitude. He can restore hope. He can restore cleansing. He can restore purpose. When other people are involved, there is... There has to be, so he can only restore us when we wish to be restored. Yeah. So when other people are involved in the things we want restored, they also have to want it. So he can restore marriages where both people want that to happen. And I've seen that. Yep. But it's very difficult for God to restore a marriage where one person is saying, I don't want that, this, and, an, and another is saying, I do. So he can restore, he can restore things where both people w- wish to do that with, uh, with genuine truthfulness. Genuine truthfulness. He can't restore things where one person is deceptive, untruthful, untrustworthy. That's, that's, he, he can restore our hope. He can restore our joy. He can restore our peace. But he's not going to restore that relationship with that person because they are outside of what God is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, unless they turn around and say, God, I'm... Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Uh, He can't restore my youth. No. He can't restore my hair. He could if he wanted to perform a miracle. I don't think it's the miracle that God really wants to do. No, it wouldn't be high on his list of things to do, I suspect. He, the world is decaying. Yeah. That's un, unstoppable. Yeah. But what he does do is say, in heaven, I will put right what isn't put rightable on earth. So throw healing into the mix, physical health. So I, we've talked about this before. I think God intervenes on occasions and he does restore health and he does heal. And I've seen that and I believe we should always, always ask for that. But it is by definition a miracle. Yeah. And therefore it is not 
the norm. I don't, I, I, I can't see it as a norm. I see it as something significant and special that most of us will see at some point in our life. We will see miracles. But we won't see it every day in terms of that physical healing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a miracle. It would be normality. And he is not going to stop us decaying. Yeah. So there is a difference between the... There are different areas of healing. This is another subject, isn't there? We did do one on this we before. We did, yeah. We did do one on this before. But there are, there are things where our stress is causing a, a, a physical condition. I think God is very good at healing that. Mm. So when he brings his peace, when he brings mm. his hope, that will have a physical manifestation. So may, a lot of our aches and pains can be stress-related mm. and therefore... God takes away the stress because he deals with our attitude as a physical healing. There are, he there are times when healing, when illness is not what God wants and when we come to him, he can put that right mm -hmm. and there are times when he says, you need to get ready to meet me mm -hmm. and do not be afraid of dying mm -hmm. and be confident in the resurrection mm -hmm. and that's the trickiness, that's the balance um, but he's not going to restore my hair or my lack of wrinkles or... Um, do you know, I don't mind going bald. That's good. I've, I embrace it. I think it's fun. What I don't like is that my legs have gone bald. I used to have the most fantastic hairy legs and oh. they're not hairy anymore. I could do with a bit of that. <laughs> I think that's a thing in life. Why do all... You know, I liked having hairy legs and they're now like a flipping chicken leg. What, what's happened it's to my It's more leg? aerodynamic. Hmm? It's more aerodynamic that helps you with your sport. You reckon? It doesn't? No. No, but you should be more aerodynamic. Lots of the England cricketers shave their legs. There's, anyway, a, there's a prayer, isn't there? And I forget, I'm going to quote this wrong, but it's, it's called the serenity prayer. Lord, help me to have, what is it, the courage to change what I can change, the, the courage to accept what I can't change, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a paraphrase. It's a famous prayer, but there is so much in that. What is it that God can do? He can absolutely transform my attitude, my hope, my peace, my cleansing. Things that involve other people, we pray and ask God to knock on their heart, but they have to let him in as well. Yeah. But we have this amazing promise and assurance that this, this life isn't all there is. Absolutely. With the glory of heaven where he will put everything right. And we talk about this every time, don't we? Because we just love it. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more mourning or crying. The old order of things has passed away. He's doing something new forever. Incredible. And that's what we hold on to. That's what gives us the greatest hope that this life isn't all there is. Because if it was, you'd be shortchanged. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've listened to a couple of things recently where... where, where some Christians from particular streams have said that the church has emphasised heaven too much. And, and, I, and I think, nah. Not when you read Jesus, he talks again and again about yeah. eternal life. When you yeah. look at Paul, he talks again and again about having a hope. And I do think sometimes there is a temptation to, to almost not believe in the future and just believe God's got to give it all now. And if he doesn't do it all now, then we get cross with him. 
What he does now is a taster. Healing is a taster. It's a sign. It's a sign of what is to come. Mm -hmm. It's not going to replace what is to come. What is Mm -hmm. to come is going to be glorious. We know that because we Mm -hmm. see God doing things now. But we're still going to die. And we have to be ready to meet Jesus. And we have to let that transform our fear and our despondency and our hopelessness now because he wants to take all of that away. If you think of Paul and the other writers in the New Testament, they were far more aware of their own mortality than I think we are. Mm. We have a great national health service. We have far more drugs and other things available to us. Lots of them were persecuted and were martyred. They were killed for their faith. Yeah. That's why their 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 focus wasn't yeah. just on this life yeah. because they knew there was something far greater. And I think some of the church, the worldwide church today, have grasped that because they are facing persecution and life is difficult. And others, life is too too easy is the wrong word, but they've lost sight of their own mortality. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a very weird Western phenomenon mm-hmm. that we are living now, you and I are living with the greatest life expectancy that humanity has ever had. No other part of the world, no other part of history. You know, there's been periods of history where if you lived to 40, that was considered yeah. amazing. Yeah. And we are the people that are most afraid of dying and go yes. on and on about how it's not fair. Because they're so trying to prolong life. How long can I live? I don't want to get really old. That's not my desire in life. Mm. I'm hoping Jesus calls me home before then. Mm. I tell you that, I don't want to live forever. Paul, Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Absolutely. Brilliant. Fantastic words to end our session on. Thank you ever so much, Donald. Thank you too for tuning in wherever you are. 